Uh, welcome. Welcome, guys. I'm glad you're here. We still have a lot of people, again, sick out. Um, apparently, there's a lot of stuff going around. Uh, we rebuke it in Jesus' name. Amen. I pray for healing for those who are sick. And uh, God's glory be seen in their life and their bodies. Uh, the visitors, welcome, guys. Um, glad you're here. Glad you're with us. I hope we haven't scared you off yet. Hopefully, we won't. But uh, we're, we're glad you're here, and if, if uh, feel free to reach out and meet us as we try to reach out and meet you and, and get to know one another, and we believe in the family of God and the, and the community of Jesus Christ, that um, if we're saved by grace, through faith, by the blood of Jesus, that we will probably be neighbors in heaven despite our disagreements here on this earth. So we might as well try to get along here before we get there. So we have a little bit of a head start, right? Okay. Um, gosh. Lord, I need you this morning. I need you more than ever. No one's sufficient for your kingdom. When you taught us to pray, your kingdom come, it wasn't words, it was your heart beating for your reality to invade ours so that we could understand the reality we were always meant to inhabit. So your kingdom is your pressure in your heart because your kingdom's not complete without your people and without your bride. And so Lord, I need you this morning to to speak your word because all of us think we know more than what we really do uh, we're all so deceived in areas that we can't see and the crazy part about it is, is we're confident in our deception so open our eyes open my eyes to see you to hear you to know you because you're awesome and you're wonderful Thank you, Lord. In the last few weeks, I've been on a little bit of a an incline, if you will, trying to merge all of the things of the Lord that are crucial into one element, one crescendo. Hopefully, we'll get there in this series. We're starting on a kingdom reality. Uh, last week, I mentioned that if you if you want to continue coming here, if you call this your church, if or if you want to like possibly make this your church or you're still feeling the waters out so please go back and listen to a couple of series that we have on our podcasts um, that Eric does for us where's Eric there he is he's back there running sound um, we've got it like what Spotify Google Apple oh, thanks iHeart yep okay Y'all, he does such a good job. All those guys back there do such good work. I'm so thankful for him. And, um, but go listen to the Sonship series first, and then go listen to the Mind Renewal series. And honestly, kingdom teaching is just an extension of mind renewal <laughs> because the kingdom is totally opposed to our brains, completely opposed. Um, in fact, it takes a renewed mind to understand kingdom teaching. 
if our minds aren't renewed, then kingdom teaching is just the accumulation of useless knowledge that we usurp over other people, demanding them to obey the things we're not showing in our own life. Because just because we can teach the word of God doesn't mean we've become that word. See, the word was made flesh. The word wasn't an idea. The word wasn't an opinion. The word wasn't a Sunday school lesson. The word is a person who has a nature and a personality and a reality that we are called to press ourselves into. Knowledge puffs up. It's sad that those who walk in churchism for the longest period of time are some of the most bound people you will ever meet. Because they place their faith, their hope, and their anchor in what they know. Instead of the image of Christ that they're supposed to represent. And sadly, many times those people enforce truth which is true, without mercy. And in Jesus Christ, mercy and truth met and kissed. And so I get a lot of people saying, well, what I said was the truth. Not without mercy, it's not. Because ever since Jesus came on the scene, truth and mercy can no longer be separated. And if you have truth without mercy, you have religion. Because, see, if we don't give mercy, the very act of not giving mercy is an act of elevation of ourselves over our brother. To give mercy, you have to come underneath them. It's exactly what Jesus did. <laughs> I'm thankful for him. My goodness, I'm so thankful for him because I was a complete... In total mess, rear end, and not a very nice person. That's how I know he's, that I'm saved because the truth I possess is the truth that I am, not what I know. I'm different. It's not just because I quit smoking and cussing and fussing. Christianity is not the absence of sin. It's the presence of the living God, which happens to eradicate sin. <laughs> okay. Kingdom. It's a big topic. It's where we're all headed. Everybody is on a collision course with the kingdom of God, and we don't realize it. Many times we've chalked the kingdom of God up into being something we can understand or teach and trying to impart its principles here into this life, which is not wrong, but it's not ultimate. See, the kingdom has to have its greatest work in us before it's going to have its greatest work in the, in the, in the surrounding areas around us. To the degree the kingdom has affected you, that is the same degree the kingdom will affect those around you. And so... This is why Jesus calls us to make disciples. Not because other people need help, though they do, but in the act of making a disciple, you will be taught more by them than they will be taught by you. You're like, well, what do you mean? See, here's the thing. 
most people don't have an ear for kingdom teaching. I referenced it last week, but Jesus talks about one specific parable, and it's the parable of the sower. And he says in multiple places, he says, if you don't understand this parable, how are you going to understand every other parable that I'm telling you? And most of his parables, not all, but most of his parables were based around the kingdom of God. You with me? In that parable, Jesus himself gives us a heads up that 75% of people who hear kingdom teaching will not receive it. Three out of four people in that story heard the word of the kingdom and it produced nothing in their life. Three out of four. Just because you hear it, can teach it, doesn't mean you're bearing it. In the act of bearing fruit, something must first die. Never in your life have you put a piece of fruit in your mouth that did not start, that did not have its inception in death. Its mother, its seed went into the ground and died in order to bring forth the thing you're enjoying. So when you disciple people, everything inside of you will be challenged by their immaturity. And often their immaturity changes you more than your maturity changes them. Ask me how I know this. I'm quite honest with you, and I'm not trying to be, like, funny. But my enemies have taught me more than my friends ever could. People bearing and wearing on me in rebellion and betrayal and abandonment and all these types of things began to work inside of me, a kingdom work. Because my mind was arrested by the pain and the reality of it. And and God began to make me realize you're thinking on the wrong realm. You're obsessed with what happened to you, with what the pain of what you went through, what somebody did to you or what somebody didn't do to you or for you or whatever it might have been. And your, art, your mind is completely on the earth. And then I began to realize that God began to send some of these calamities and storms my way, the betrayals and all these other things, just to shake my mind out of the current reality I was in so I could get my mind on a kingdom reality. See, the kingdom reality calls me to suffer for the people that we like to blame. The kingdom reality calls me to forgive my accusers and my aggressors when they're in the wrong. The kingdom reality calls me to forgive those who aren't worthy of forgiveness. But if we're basing our life and our Christianity upon the things of this earth, which is usually the things that affect us, we have no capacity for kingdom teaching, though we can hear it and repeat it. And we're expecting lives to be changed by the fact that we can regurgitate teaching, maybe in a way that even stimulates the emotion of the hearer, but yet has no long-lasting fruit because it hasn't had that fruit in ourselves. You with me? You know, my world was rocked when I realized love wasn't an action but a person. Because I was trying to love people through the context of action instead of through the context of identity. See, when I become love... 
I don't have to try to love anymore. When I become love, I don't have to try to be at rest or at peace. When I become love, I don't have to try to forgive. I just do. And that's the journey we're heading toward, being kingdom people in the midst of an earth that doesn't understand kingdom living. Do you realize it takes a certain degree of upset, upheaval, storm, and betrayal for you to actually learn the things that you need to learn to be a kingdom person? And yet many times we're rebuking storms that God sent our way. One of our home groups, which I encourage you to come to, we were speaking the other night of not making our entire life about the storm. Because Jesus tells a parable of two men who built houses on two different elements. And we always want to talk about the end of that story. However, do you realize that there was a commonality in both elements? Both had storms. And if we make our entire Christianity about the storm instead of what the storm is made for, we're going to miss kingdom intention. See, the storm comes to test what kind of kingdom you build whenever you're not underneath the weather. God allows the storm to come to your life to see what naturally comes out of you when you're pressed. See, because you can fake church Sunday stuff and you can tell everybody everything you know and, and make it look like you're this great spiritual giant. But when you have something nail you right between the eyes that you did not expect and it is not something that you want to have in your life, the immediate reaction is your true nature. And if you respond in fear, then there's fear inside your nature more than you care to theologically admit. And that fear will not let you understand kingdom teaching because fear is not allowed in the kingdom. So you understand where you're headed? The things that we indulge in are not allowed there. <laughs> Unbelief, depression, doubt, self-hate, judgment, criticism. Those things are not allowed in God's kingdom. And Jesus teaches us to pray that his kingdom come and his will be done in earth just as it would be operating in heaven. We are the kingdom seeds planted in this earth to bring forth kingdom reality. Jesus was a kingdom seed. He was the very inception of kingdom seed planted into the earth. And Jesus says, don't you know that a corn of wheat has to go into the ground and it has to die before it can bring forth much fruit? Yes. And if you read the parables of Jesus, he's always incessant about fruit bearing. He says, those that don't bear fruit are cut off and cast in the fire. The problem with fruit bearing is, is there's got to be a lot of death before the bearing of fruit can happen. And most of our Christianity is set up to avoid those seasons and reasons of death and suffering and sacrifice. And we want to spiritualize them and cast them away and make somebody else the scapegoat for what they've done to us and the death that it's caused us to be able to lay blame eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which is still rotten fruit. And then we want to make that be the total uh, reality of our Christian life and make it make sense. And it doesn't. See, to hear the word of the kingdom is to literally have Jesus 
delivered to you in a way that you can't see. He is the word. How many times does scripture say the gospel of the kingdom? A lot. See, we taught the gospel, but Jesus calls it the gospel of the kingdom. He doesn't say the gospel of love. He doesn't say that. No, it's the good news of the kingdom. Why? Because the kingdom is ruled by love. The kingdom is good news because of what it represents, what it is, what it inhabits, what it possesses. Its reality is pressed upon us. And it's continually trying to press itself into us. Does this make sense to you? Okay. How many of you, no, raise your hand. But how many of you are born again? That word born again, we miss the real, the real concept of what that actually means. To be born again means to have a completely new life. The Bible's very clear that we are made into a new species of humanity. That word creation means a new species, something that's never existed before. See, from the time of Genesis up until the time of Jesus, nothing new had been created. Nothing new. The moment Jesus came, something new was created. And when he came into us by faith, and we invited him into our life, and our life became his, we became that same species. You understand this? See, I don't know where we got this Christian idea that when we get born again, that we have this thing that just comes inside of us, and then we're here to, like, you know, fight this whole thing out for the rest of our life. Yeah, is there going to be a war? Absolutely. But you understand, we need to teach people that the real them is on the inside, not the outside. See, if you, 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 you nod your head, but when your emotions get to you, you actually identify with those instead of what's inside of you. <laughs> You do. You identify with, you know, your offense or your pride or your, your religious spirit or your critical, censorious nature that wants to come in and tear everybody apart and prove why you're right and they're wrong. You know, all that type of stuff is, is external. And then whenever you finally see some sin in your life, you freak out, you know, because you're like, oh, my God, I shouldn't have done that. Oh, so God, forgive me. You know, and you don't realize that you're not your sin. You hadn't figured that out yet. Because you don't really believe in the new nature that was put inside of you. You say you do, but when you're born again, that's the real you. Is this body going to go with you to heaven? You're going to get a new one. Why? Because it's not the real you. But we live as if this body is the real us and the things it does and everything else. Am I, am I saying go out and sin? Absolutely not. I'm saying that the work of the kingdom should be so great inside of you and your reality pressing in upon that reality should overtake you so much like a river flowing out of you that not only as the river flows out of you and changes other people, it changes you as it flows out as well. The new man was created for the kingdom. Let me give you a hint, all right? You need to remember this or write this down. <laughs> Much of your spiritual frustration 
comes when you're not living according to kingdom reality. Because the real you inside, the one that God birthed, is being made subject to a kingdom of the earth that it cannot join itself with. Does that make sense? So you're subjecting the real you to a kingdom that that real you wasn't created to be a part of, which creates spiritual frustration. That's why unbelief is so dangerous. Because you're subjecting the real you, which is created for faith, to a realm that says unbelief is the reality. And then we want to spiritualize everything about why it's not happening here on the earth. It doesn't have to happen here on the earth as long as it happens in me. Does that make sense? Okay, let me give you an example. Kingdom reality states that there's no sickness in heaven. So if I pray for somebody and they don't get healed, the kingdom did not fail. Because their spirit is not sick. So even if they die, we want to create theologies based upon why they died and why healing isn't for today because they died, whenever the reality is is that they're ultimately healed. And I know that sounds like a cop-out, but the real them is never sick. So when you think on kingdom reality, it doesn't really matter what happens on the exterior of this body because you know that this isn't your home. There's so many Christians I talk to and counsel and, and, and speak to, and the, the gut reality of their life is that they really feel like this is their home. Like you're going to live here for forever. At best, even if you make the millennium kingdom, if you believe in that thing, you only get another thousand years. That's really not a long time. And then it's going to be over with. It will all end. This is not your home. This is why we have people meshing in the Christianity with the world today because this is their home. They don't understand the new man was created for the kingdom of God. The new man was made to be a giver, not a taker. The new man was custom built for sacrifice. The new man was custom created to suffer for other people and to find joy in it. The new man has the ability to have peace through everything that's going wrong in their life because they know who they really are on the inside. Jesus says the kingdom of God is where? It's just within us. So if we actually grabbed a hold of the reality of the new man, we would begin to understand the kingdom of God. Do you realize Jesus had a meeting with the best mind of his time? In John chapter 3. And he says, if you're a master of Israel and you don't understand the new man, <laughs> how are you going to understand anything if you don't understand that? And I can say the same thing to the church of Jesus Christ today. We still don't understand the new man. And we're still trying to make everything about wrestling with this flesh. 
And the Bible's real clear. You just reckon yourself dead to sin and alive to God. That's what you do and you move on. It's not complicated. <laughs> but I don't feel that's your problem. You want to feel. Show me in the Bible where it says you get to feel. Not, it, guys, I, I, I've tried to find it because I want to feel. I want to get in my feelings. Like I want to be in my feelings sometimes. But see, the new man understands that we aren't built for those things. I'm just going to reference it, but 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, The natural man cannot receive the things of the Spirit. If you have a natural mindset, a carnal mindset, which the word carnal means fleshly, earthly mindset, right? If your life is about this and the provisions thereof and the the money and this and blah, 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 and and, and you're not going to understand when the Spirit of God begins to move. Yet, ironically, your your theology will tell you, well, we need to be led by the Spirit, brother. See, we know too much and we are too little. When you, when you go research being led by the Spirit in the New Testament, it doesn't lead you. He doesn't lead you to very nice places. <laughs> the first time it's referenced in the Scripture under the first Son of God ever represented was Matthew chapter 4. The Spirit of God led the Son where? To where the devil was. To undergo physical abuse, lack, loss. Suffering, waiting, trial, difficulty, wild beasts. And we don't want seasons like that. We want to be like Jesus, always on the mountain. Somebody lied to you and told you that this is reality up here. Every time Jesus went to one of those mountains, you know what he did? He immediately came straight back down. The time frame in which he spent on the mountain was very minuscule to the time frame he spent in the valley. Because see, when you go down to the valley, you know what you meet? People who don't know how to live on the mountain in their heart. See, if he didn't come back down, he would have never been, he couldn't have ministered to us because that's where we were living. And that's where some of us are still living today. Okay? So I want to, I'm going to try to get a little bit teachy here if that's okay, and I apologize. But here's the thing. Go to Matthew chapter 5. Everybody, we know this sermon. Greatest sermon in the world. The reason it's the greatest sermon in the world and we still don't understand it is because we haven't fully unpacked our kingdom reality. I love the way the verse starts out in verse 1. It says, In seeing the multitudes, right, he went up to a mountain and he was seated and his disciples came to him. See, Kingdom reality always flows from a, an atmosphere that's above the things that are going on below. Always. So Jesus properly seats himself into a reality before he even begins to teach this reality to us. I really encourage you to slow down when you read your Bible. This verse looks like something you just want to pass over to get to the story. But Jesus doesn't do anything 
for no reason. The mountain represents the place where God inhabits and exists in the Hebraic culture. This is why in those ancient cultures, every temple they ever built was where? On a mountain, because that's where the gods lived. <laughs> why did God come down on Mount Sinai? He's always above our situation, guys. Always. And the fact that we can't see that means we have a, more of a carnal mind than we realize, which is why I encourage you to go find a mind renewal series, either ours or somebody else's, and begin to, to really look at what the Bible says about mind renewal. Right? Let your mind be on things. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Okay. Are we on? Okay. See, when true kingdom teaching begins to flow down from the Lord, it says he opens his mouth. It's such an amazing thing. The Lord, Jesus opened his mouth. The word is now speaking the word. The king is now discoursing on the kingdom. That's, I mean, that's powerful. That he's speaking on his own reality. Even people came to arrest him later on. We're like, nobody has ever taught like him and said the things he said before. He speaks as if he has authority. Why? Because the king was representing the kingdom. Now, here's, here's, the, here's the rub, right? In, Gen in Revelation, what does Jesus call us? Kings and priests. So if he calls us kings, we're supposed to also, lowercase k, don't freak out on me. If he calls us kings, we're supposed to represent the kingdom the same way he did. He opened his mouth and he taught them. Everything from this point forward is, is Jesus discoursing what the kingdom is actually like, not something we need to try to obey. You need to read Matthew 5 through a different set of lenses because Jesus had no problems keeping or doing everything he just, he's, he's about to say. Did he? No. Why? Because when you're a king in the kingdom, this is natural to you. It's not unnatural. It's unnatural if you're not a king in the kingdom. If you're a part of another kingdom, this is very unnatural. This is why we need to grow and be raised up and mature in the Lord. Paul prayed for the Galatian church that I travail again for you that Christ be formed in you. Why? Because if Christ is not formed in us, we don't have the ability to bear kingdom reality to the world. And guess what? They're sick and tired of their kingdom even though they're full of it. They want something else. And the religion that we've tried to give them for the past 60 years obviously hasn't worked. That's my biggest problem with the Church of America today is because she thinks she's so right. However, she has missed entire generations. And if we were half as right as we thought we were, more people would be on fire for Jesus. So you can say whatever you want about your theology and however long you've been saved, but we missed something and it's not caused them to hunger and crave what we have. can prove to you scripturally that God's going to judge generations, not just individuals. That's scary to me because I get lumped into some people that I really don't want to be judged with. 
Why? Because God believes in the power of one son to change absolutely everything. We just don't believe that ourselves. See, we don't wake up in the morning realizing that I've been given the authority of God to change a generation. We wake up in the morning like, Lord, let me have a good day. Oh, God, please don't let anything go wrong. Let me... I mean, we're like underneath all this stuff as beggars asking God to like, you know, beautify the life we've chosen instead of immerse ourselves into the one he's given us. And we're scared to do that. Why? Because the one that he's given us, we know in our spirit's going to probably cause us a little bit of hardship, pain and betrayal and difficulty and disappointment and hurt and abandonment and all that other stuff. But if this isn't your home, it don't matter anyway. I know a lot of people will say that they don't care what people think because they're trying to convince themselves that they don't care what people think when they really do care what people think. And some people will say, well, because you say you don't care what people think, you actually do. But I'm telling you, I really don't care what people think. Uh, those of you who know me really well, you're laughing because you know it's true. I re Why? Because I, I'm not going to face you on that day. You, your opinion... Like, you can get mad at me, you can leave the church, you can say all about it, it ain't going to move me. I've had it happen a hundred times. I'll get through it, trust me. I will get through it. It doesn't matter to me anymore how much I've, I'm hurt. What matters is, is how much I take that hurt and I'll be able to say, what kingdom reality are you working in me, Lord? How do I take this and make this a kingdom victory? It might take two years or five years or ten years, but you know what? doesn't matter how long it takes as long as it's established. Next verse. Who wants to be that? We come to, we come to the altar sometimes because we're poor in spirit. <laughs> Can you pray for me? I just feel like really poor in my spirit. I'm like, well, that's a good thing. amazing that what we feel like we don't have is the authority for what we do. That, that was a whole lot better than the response, but <laughs> the things we feel like we do not possess, poverty in spirit. When you're poor in your spirit, listen, you're, you're just you're like, I don't have any. I'm like, oh. But see, the, the carnal mind's going to focus on your poverty while the kingdom man inside of you knows that because of that, you now possess the kingdom of heaven. This is why the mind renewal has to happen because if you're constantly looking at your poverty in spirit, you're missing your own reality that Jesus died to give you. See, there's kingdom requirements. And Jesus is outlaying out, he's not out, outlying for us things we need to do. What he's showing us is that a true kingdom person, when they're mature, will come to the reality that no matter how poor they are in any scenario of their life, they will rejoice because they know they possess the kingdom. Nothing can shake them. Because they think differently. They have the mind of Christ. Christ. 
It's not just a verse for them. It's a substance that rests between their ears and influences their actions. Next verse. Who wants to mourn? Nobody wants to mourn. But it's a kingdom reality. You're blessed when you mourn. Do you feel blessed when you mourn? Anybody ever mourned really deep in here over something or someone or whatever? You don't feel blessed. You don't feel blessed at all. In fact, you feel like you need a blessing. You feel like you need somebody to pray for you or lay hands on you or comfort you or, or put their arm around you. That's not the comfort he's talking about. Do you know what, the, the, what he's talking about, the word comfort there? I mean, he's talking about the Holy Spirit. When you mourn, you have a greater access to the Spirit of God. Why? Because he's called the comforter. So we want to live a life in Christianity where he can't do his job. I want to keep the Holy Spirit from having any work in my life at all because I don't want to be comforted because I don't want to mourn. But when you mourn, your new man gets excited because I'm telling you, if you start posturing your mind the right way, you begin to feel the Spirit of God. Some of the darkest times in my life, I felt God the closest. <laughs> oh, man. What we really want, though, is we want that without the problems. It doesn't work that way. See, the kingdom's opposite. Next verse. See, in our culture, meekness is weakness. In Jesus' culture, meekness is power. The one time Jesus describes who he is, Matthew chapter 11, he says, I am what? Meek and lowly in heart. Wait, wait, wait. This son of the kingdom lowered himself, the Bible says, below the angels and became himself a man and then humbled himself even greater to be the servant of men and then humbled himself even below that and went down into the hell. He went to the lowest place and that gave him the authority to inhabit the highest one. They will inherit the earth. Do you know why meek people inherit the earth? Because they don't care about it in the way that it moves them in the flesh. See, people want to inherit the earth because they want the earth's riches and its substance and its people and its power and its prominence. Jesus actually went the other way and denied all of that. Go read how many times he ran off the crowds. I mean, that's not good church growth teaching. It's, it's not. He won the world by meekness. You know how many relationships would be healed if people would just understand the kingdom reality of meekness in their life? Marriages, families would be healed 
for one person standing in the power of meekness. And they'll inherit everything that the world says you're never going to get going at it that way. See, kingdom teaching is different. Now, I want you to keep in mind, as Jesus is teaching this, hear me, please, hear me. You can say whatever you want about your pastor and how great or how bad he is or whatever. But you've got to understand, these people were listening to the greatest preacher in the entire cosmos. There is no one more anointed, more powerful, more great, more articulate. He is able to do everything and anything at any point at any time. He's the best of the best. So this idea that, well, my pastor's not feeding me. Don't get me started on that. I'm going to help me, Lord. I'm going to stay on track. I even forgot what I was saying. Oh, my goodness. So Jesus is the best. And they didn't hear him. Imagine, you think, oh, if Jesus would just show up in my life. No, he, he showed up to a lot of people, and they didn't hear him. In fact, he weeps over Jerusalem at the very end, and he says, you missed the time of your visitation because you didn't know who I was. So, 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 so the things that we want in our life, these great powerful moves of God and this revelation and all the things that we think are important, it doesn't really matter if it doesn't have a work in you because you'll, just, you'll hear it, but it doesn't get in you. They heard it. It says the multitudes. And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain. And he opened his mouth and he began to teach them. The multitudes. Let me ask you, did they, did they get it? His own disciples didn't even get this. Later on, they're arguing about who's the greatest. <laughs> they missed the kingdom reality because they were still thinking like the earth. In other words, I've got to, to gain something in order to be something. When Jesus' teaching is the exact opposite, in fact, many times when you don't possess it, you actually do. That's how James can be non-sadistic when he says rejoice in trials and tribulations. Because I used to wonder, like, how can you write that? Like, how are you supposed to be happy when this stuff comes on? Because he had a different mindset. He realized that trial and tribulation were promotions. Next one. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Man, have you ever had a time in your life where you were so hungry for God, fasting and praying and seeking God, and just so like, God, change my life, and you just felt like he wasn't answering your prayer, and you felt like this, this, uh, it's a bad season. I just, I'm not going to lie to you. If you've never had one of those, you will if you pursue him. If you really love him, those who people who've never had one of those, they don't, they usually haven't got to a place where they love Jesus more than everything else. They're so hungry for him, they want absolutely everything to be about Jesus. It's a bad season to be in. Being hungry and being thirsty is a very painful thing spiritually. I've had people be like, man, I want the Lord, but I just can't feel him anymore. I just can't, uh, just, uh. it's like, oh, you're okay. Like, no, 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 I'm not okay. No, you're Okay. You're going to be filled. 
See, those who, who are hunger and thirst for righteousness, who are kingdom people, they're not worried about their hungering and thirsting. They're rejoicing that my filling is coming. <laughs> yeah. The Bible says weeping endures for a night. See, kingdom people know that suffering can't last for forever, and they're built for resurrection, not suffering. The suffering is going to have its work. It's going to kill in you what needs to die anyway. I don't know why we're screaming so bad about it. There's things in you that need to die. As a born-again believer, and there's things in me that need to die. And then we start freaking out because they're dying. I'm sure it wasn't the most spiritual reality when Christ was hanging on that cross. He didn't have the, the Holy Ghost goosebumps, you know, on the cross, just like, oh, this is so wonderful and being in the presence of Abba. There's times in our life where we go through very, very, very difficult things. If we don't have a kingdom mindset, we're going to revert back to an earthly mindset and then begin blaming God for the pain that he actually sent us. See, it was Jesus himself that said, you need to take your cross. You need to carry it. Let me ask you this. Was Jesus' cross his or was it ours? So then why do we need to take our cross? It's really simple. A cross is always for somebody else. So what Jesus is saying is this, is that just as I've carried your cross, you carry somebody else's. Ain't nobody can get to you like a family member. See, we don't want to carry those, though, because they expose us. You're spiritual until your wife blows on you. Or until your, ki your kids get in your face. And all that spirituality and theology and hermeneutics and all apologetics just go. Yep. <laughs> I don't know where they go. They always come back over coffee, though. Next verse, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. See, it sounds so awesome, but do you realize in order to be merciful to someone, they have to have done you wrong first? Like, to show somebody mercy means you have the power and the authority in that situation because you're right to destroy them. And that's the last thing that a carnal person wants to do is give mercy. But it's the first thing the kingdom man wants to do. See, your circumstances really tell you where you're truly at. If your first flash instinct is to like, I told you you were wrong. Well, congratulations. That's, you're not incorrect. You just have no ability to produce life. So if you want to beat a dead tree and try to get some life out of it, you can have at it, but it won't respond. Make sense? Next verse. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. This is the reality where Jesus says that if I purify you, you're going to be pure. See, only in purity do we see God as he is. How many of you know that we need to see him as he is, not as we think him to be? Yes. Yes. Everybody in here has an opinion of God, including myself, and we're all pretty much wrong. 
Because when we get there, he's going to blow all the things off the doors, all the theology we thought we said, we, we understood. And he's, we're going to realize this thing was much deeper, much bigger, much more powerful than we ever realized. And we were playing with like two grains of sand on the beach, thinking we had, you know, got these things figured out. It takes purity to see God as he is. What is purity? In the Old Testament mindset, purity was not the meshing, the mixing with the earth, the world, and its system. What he's saying is, is that you're not going to see God as he truly is until you have a kingdom mindset and you're no longer trying to view him through the things of this life. Well, how do you know that? I know that because his first message he ever preached was repent, change how you think, because the kingdom's coming and you're not going to understand it if you don't change how you think. So that predated this message. So the preface of all kingdom teaching is changing how we think or we don't understand the teaching that's being taught. And then we'll see God for as he is. Next verse. We love these next ones, right? How many of you like conflict? <laughs> you can't be a peacemaker without it. It doesn't say peacekeeper. You have to make it because it's not present. Sons, daughters of the kingdom, make peace when there's chaos. They get excited when they see chaos because they go, whew, time to go to work, baby. Let's get this done. <laughs> and they come in low and they come in with wisdom and they come in with something that causes everybody to go, oh, yeah, I'm sorry. It's awesome to watch. Have you ever seen that soft answer, turn away wrath? Somebody steps up and establishes peace, and everybody just goes, oh. Because it's a kingdom reality. A greater kingdom presses on an inferior kingdom and brings its authority in through one person. Why is kingdom teaching so important? Because it only takes one person to release the authority and power of an entire realm of heaven into a situation that is soaked and bathed in death. Just one. Next one. See, this is the foundation bedrock of God's order, his majesty, and the way heaven operates. In heaven, they don't have to try to make peace or they don't have to try to, you know, convince themselves to love. It's, it's, it, they just are. And in reality, you are the same way inside. And the only thing that's stopping it is because we haven't renewed our mind that controls a lot of our hormonal releases in our body called emotions. <laughs> I mean, technically, when someone's in their feelings, they're drunk on their own hormones. That's it. You dump enough certain hormones into the human body, you're going to feel certain things. Do you realize that some drugs, actually, the only reason that make you high is not because of the drug. It actually just dumps your natural juices into your body all at once that was never intended for your body to receive all at once, and you get high on your own self. Yeah. See, so don't tell me there's not, there's not power. This is why one of the fruits of the, self, of, of, of the Spirit is what? Self-control. <laughs> Why? Because there's more power in this thing than we realize. There's more power in this thing than we realize. 
And we walk around thinking we're victims of these things instead of realizing we need to conquer them and make them serve us, the real us, the kingdom us. Is this helping you? Next one. Oh, wait, go back. Yeah, that's a fun one. But see, do you realize there's like, there's, there's two or three here talk about persecution and suffering? He says, blessed are those who persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Every time you go out and you try to, you know, breathe out the kingdom of heaven and somebody just blows on you, family, friends, somebody, and you need to like get really excited, like, oh my gosh, I'm really close, like this, like, I, I'm, I'm, I'm in it, man. Why? Next verse. Blessed are you when they revile you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my name's sake. For great is your reward in heaven. Right? Next verse. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. You're in a kingdom order, a kingdom lineage. This is crazy to me. Like, we, we, we have created, we have managed in the last two generations to create the most selfish, thin-skinned people I've ever met in my life. Like, they're not, they're, they're offended if you just aren't happy with them. Or, it's like, people are, like, upset because of the dumbest things. But it's a kingdom reality to understand that we rejoice and we're glad because the reward in heaven is great. In other words, listen to this, guys. Your reward in heaven, according to this verse, is equal to your persecution. How many want to be persecuted? How many want great reward? See, y'all are all, like, not raising your hand at all, right? You know. <laughs> we all want great reward, but none of us want to be persecuted. It doesn't work that way. And you realize in order to be persecuted, you actually have to put yourself out there. You can't just sit in the comforts of your own Christianity and wait for them to come to you. Oh, man. I'm sorry. Without kingdom mindset, kingdom teaching doesn't make sense, and it seems totally illogical. You with me? Jesus teaches us to pray, thy kingdom come. I love what my mentor Gladstone says. He says this, in order to pray that his kingdom to come, you're by default also praying for the overthrow of every other kingdom in your life that opposes it. You understand what that means? That every kingdom of the earth that's inside of you, when you pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, you're asking God to tear down that idea that you think is right in order to build his idea that he knows is right. So be careful praying that prayer because when you start praying that his kingdom would come inside of you, guess what he's going to challenge? Every other kingdom that you're serving. Which is a selfish, carnal, earthly, worldly-based kingdom where you demand everybody do things your way and serve you instead of a kingdom reality where you serve other people even if they aren't worthy to be served. 
See, we don't get to determine who's valuable. God does. I'm so thankful that I don't treat people differently because of their financial status. Like, I don't care. I ran off some of the biggest tithers I had. Sorry. I could be, we could be really doing really well right now if I hadn't told the truth. But God determines value. God determines value. And sometimes people who are hurting you are valuable. We just can't see it. You with me? I don't have time. I know I don't. There's a couple people who want to get to lunch here. See, what we call miracles are nothing more than the kingdom pressing itself in upon our reality. That's it. See, miracles in the kingdom are not abnormal. In fact, they don't even call them miracles. It's just the way things are. (laughs) When somebody's born again, that's a kingdom reality. The problem is is that the church does a very terrible job of teaching them who they really are after they finally get born again. They get born again, and then they want to go back to the old system of sin-focused Christianity, and then we're nothing but worms in the dirt waiting for the sweet by and by, which is a total lie. See, Jesus, (laughs) David was the one that said, I'm a worm and I am no man. And that was in the old covenant. But his great, 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 great grandson said, you are kings and you are priests. So you decide which one you want to listen to. David was a manic depressive. (laughs) Go read his Psalms. (laughs) Woo! What was awesome about David is he always pulled himself out of his funk, you know? I'm going to return to the house of the Lord, and I'm going to lift up my name to his, my eyes to his, his face, his name. See, in Christ, we need to just be this place where we're walking with him because we have kingdom reality, kingdom focus, kingdom issues in our heart. But I want to challenge you. I don't have time to go into I'm going to carry this on later. But I want to challenge you. Listen, the man that Jesus made you to be on the inside, the woman that Jesus made you to be on the inside is a kingdom person. It's not an earthly person. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, please, 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 please hear me. So much of your Christian journey is difficult because you have made it so. You're living for a kingdom you were not born for, and you're begging God for it to make sense in your reality, and it's a prayer he cannot answer. Jesus, I didn't have time to get into it. We'll go into it next week. But Jesus even says, do not even think about the things that you need in this life. All of us need to repent. He says, don't even think about it because God already knows what you need. He says, you seek first 
my kingdom. And when we don't do that, our Christianity is completely turned upside down. And then we're trying to get God to make sense of what we've chosen. And that brings frustration. If your week, your life, your month, your year becomes about you, your job, your family, your kids, you're this, you're that, you're this, you're that, whatever it might be, you are completely going to hit a brick wall. The, the man, the woman that God made you to be is a natural servant, a natural son, a natural lover, a natural crucified reality. You just have to mature it. Right? We, walked, we went over that a few weeks ago, that Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. There's a growth process to kingdom reality. I'll get into it in some of his teachings. But Jesus tells us the kingdom of heaven is like this. And it's indicative of something growing from the inside out, rising until it comes to this full risen reality. But it doesn't happen if we don't let that woman hide that three measures of meal inside of us, that Holy Spirit of God, that trinity, that identity inside of who we are so it can manifest itself as a risen food source to the nations. You with me? You have to get your life moving around the kingdom. And then you're going to realize it's not that difficult. It's simple. It's just going to cost you everything. But you tell me what you actually think you own anyway, and we'll have that discussion. I'll tell you what you have. Christ. In fullness. And that's all you'll have when you get there. So everything you're worried about now, the worst that could happen is you die. which is the best thing that could happen. <laughs> if you lose everything, start over. It's, it's that simple. Start over. That's why you need a community. Because if you happen to lose everything and you've already built relationships with people who will love you and take care of you, they'll, they'll help you start over and it'll be a whole lot easier. But if you isolate and watch from your TV and nobody knows you, when you finally lose everything, or if you finally lose everything, and you try to start over, you ain't got nobody to help you. Yeah? yeah? See, if I lose everything, I hope somebody in here would maybe let me borrow a bed somewhere in their house. I won't, I don't eat, I won't eat too much. <laughs> the kingdom is everything. You with me? I want you to understand the next few weeks as we get into this. Those of you who haven't listened to the Sonship series and the Mind Renewal series, please go through those because it's going to help you understand what God is ultimately intended for. Christianity is not an abstract form of events that just happen to collide in some sort of blender of spirituality. It's not the way it works. There's a precise, pointed destination that Jesus is trying to get everything to, and it's called the marriage supper of the Lamb. That's the final pinnacle of kingdom reality. We'll get there. Father, thank you that your ways are higher than our ways. Your thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And forgive us, Lord. We repent. 
the best way we know how. We don't want to be that 75% that hears the teaching and then it doesn't manifest into fruit and reality. God, we want to bear 30, 60, and 100-fold. But 30, 60, and 100-fold require 30-fold death, 60-fold death, and 100-fold death. But help us understand that in dying, we lose the only things that we can't keep anyway. But we gain everything. Lord, help this community of believers manifest kingdom truth, not just theological regurgitation. Living pillars of community, of love, of sacrifice, of service, of truth. Let them glorify your name, Abba, and demonstrate and establish your kingdom. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.